welcome to everyone here today. And no matter uh, uh, what background from your, that you're from, no matter what country that you're from, what your culture, your background is, I see that God is just bringing different types of people, different backgrounds. I want to say that you are welcome here. Now, maybe your background, your cultural tendency is to be kind of uh, reserved and shy and withdrawn. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I want to encourage you to be a participator. You know, we're a church that believes in participation way more than, you know, it, it's about partici- participation more than it is by observation or by investigation, right? And you can do all three of those things in church, but we want you to be a part of that first part, a participator, because that's where you get the most out of life. And out of church is when you participate. So I want to encourage you to do that because, you know what, church is all about God, isn't it? But it's not just about God. It's about also about you and I. You and I, we have a part to play, right? Okay, let's pray before we continue. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Uh, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for worship that is prepared and plowed our hearts. Lord, let our hearts be like fertile ground to receive the seed of your Word, and let that Word be planted on good ground, a ground of faith, a ground that receives and believes your Word, And like every time good seed is planted in good soil, it always produces fruit. May the word that we hear today produce great spiritual fruit, great fruit in our lives. For your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Long prayer. We're in a brand new series, and it's called Your Time, Your Turn. Your Time, Your Turn. And today we're going to start in this series by looking at one of the greatest stories written in the Bible And it's in the Old Testament, it's the book of Nehemiah. So, Nehemiah, the whole story of Nehemiah, if you read the whole thing through, it's really all about living a life of purpose. Living a life of purpose with determination and to be willing to let God use you to do something significant with your life. It's it's all about a life, it's it's a story about what what it's like to live a life with purpose purpose, what it looks like to leave your comfort zone and to sacrifice and to make a difference in the world. Listen, you cannot make a difference without getting your hands dirty. You cannot make a difference without being involved. And, and you cannot make a difference without risking maybe some loss or exposure or rejection. You know, all this is a part of making a difference to our communities, to our neighbor, to our neighborhoods, and to our churches, to our country. It's all about making a difference. So this story of Nehemiah begins when Nehemiah is a servant to the king. And he is to the Persian king, and he is a cupbearer. Now, Nehemiah is one of the remnant of God's people who were taken, co- taken hostage. They were taken captive. And so here's Nehemiah. He's, he's, he's a young man, and he's growing up living in this place of exile, in this place called Babylon. Babylon. But he's developed certain qualities within his life, within his, within his character, that has allowed him to be promoted to a place right beside the king. The king of Babylon, Artaxerxes. And he's a cupbearer to the king. Now, one day, 
some of his brothers come from Jerusalem, from his homeland, and they come to him to visit him. And so Nehemiah asked him this question, how are things going in the homeland? And, the, and his brothers answered, not good. We're in big trouble. Our city has been devastated. The walls are broken down, and its gates have been burnt with fire. And Nehemiah's response in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. When's the last time that we've sat down and we've wept over the condition of our country and what's happening in this world? But Nehemiah was so shook, he was so bothered, that he literally had to sit down. And he said he wept. And the next thing he did was he prayed. And we're actually, we're privy to his prayer. We are audience to his prayer. And I want to point out four key things that were in Nehemiah's prayer. <clears throat> On your screen, the, the first thing about Nehemiah's prayer is that he honored and he worshiped God. Then I said, verse 5, the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he magnifies God who keeps his covenant of love to those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He honored and he worshiped God. He said, God, you're the, Lord, you're the God of heaven. You're the great and awesome God. There's that sense of worship and honoring God. And the second thing he did in his prayer was he acknowledged their sin. Verse 7, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly against you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And, he, and he's saying, that's, that's why we are where we are today. <clears throat> We've fallen away from God. We've disobeyed your commandments. We acknowledge our sin. What does the Second Chronicles 7.14 say? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear their prayers and I would heal their land. Do we need healing in our land? You bet we do. The fourth, the third, the fourth thing he does Number three, the third thing he does is he reminded God of his promises. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He reminded God of his promises through all history. God, you promised. Yeah, maybe we sin, but if we, all, if we humble ourselves and we seek your face, you will gather us back again. That's what you said. I'm reminding you of your promises, God. And then number four, <clears throat> he prays for success and favor with the king. Verse 11, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You know, what a great prayer. What a bold prayer. Give me success. Give me favor. You know, a lot of people pray weak, wimpy prayers. 
Sometimes that's me. But not Nehemiah. That's not the way you pray. Pray. You know, I think we should be asking ourselves, what kind of, what kind of prayers are we praying? We should be asking each other, each other, what do you believe in God for? What are you praying for and believe in God for, shouldn't we? So right here, when Nehemiah, he's asking for favor from God with the king. He's asking for more than we realize. What he's asking for is a leave of absence from his position. Not just for, for a weekend, for a few days. What could amount to even years he could be gone? So he's asking for a leave of absence. Not only that, he's asking for materials. Very costly, which is going to cost a lot of money. Materials, timbers to repair the walls in the city. And, on, uh, and plus, you know, he's got to get a way to transport it. So he's asking for carts and caravans, camels and horses to, to, to transport all those materials, huge amounts of materials, to rebuild the city. Not only is that, he's asking for authorization, letters from the king to authorize them to travel through all the different countries, the territories, in order, order to get to his homeland, to the building site. He's asking for all that. More than that, he's asking for permission to gather the people, to rally the people, and to build the, uh, the, rebuild the walls again. Protection. He's asking for protection. He's asking for an entourage of cavalrymen and soldiers to give him safe journey and to, to, so that they can get all that material to rebuild the city. He's asking for so much. And the Bible, what does the Bible say? Present your request to the Lord. James chapter 4, verse 2. Sometimes you don't have. You don't have because you do not ask God. <clears throat> Sometimes that's me. <clears throat> I'll complain, I'll wish, <clears throat> and, I'll, and I'll hope, but sometimes I just don't ask God. Here Nehemiah wasn't asking, he wasn't praying, God, I hope you will do something. I'm hoping you will do something. No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, God, give me an open door. Give me favor. Give me success because I am ready to step out and to do something something." bold, something daring, and I'm asking you to be with me, for your hand to be on me, and, to your, and your favor to be on me. You know, and the question is, how about us? How about us? Are we serious about God? Are we truly seeking God and believing God for breakthroughs, for health, for healing, for success, for, 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 for finances? Are we believing God for that? So let's be serious about God too as well. St. Augustine, I love what he says. In this, he says, without God, we cannot. And without us, God will not. Some Christians will tell you, you know what? Don't bother praying. Because God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. So, so why bother praying? You know what that is? Bad theology. That is not, that's, I don't believe that's right. You know why? Because there's a lot of stuff happening in our will, world right now that's not the will of God. And there's a lot of stuff happening to people that God does not want to, to happen to them. Right? We thought, Jesus, you know, Jesus said, pray, pray to your Father in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Here Nehemiah is asking for the king's favor. And one day, he gets the chance to do that. The opportunity comes. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. 
in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King, King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? So what he's saying to Nehemiah is, I know you're not ill. I know you're not sick. I know you don't have COVID. I want to give you some, you know the background on this? There's some interesting background on this. Nehemiah could have been put in prison and even put to death for looking sad in front of the king. His job, his major job, was to lift the countenance of the king. He was not to come before the king heavy laden, downcast, sad. But he was to come before the king happy, lively, smiling, not sad. But that day, Nehemiah was sad. He was actually on dangerous territory. And the king says to him, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. You are sad. And Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. You would be too. You know, it's, it's one thing to have fear, but it's another thing to let that fear hold you back. Amen? And the king says, this is nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah replies, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the response from the king, and the king said, what is it you want? I, I love what Tommy Temme said. Tommy, Tommy Temme, he said, one moment of his favor is like a lifetime of labor, is worth a lifetime of labor. You know, you read through the next 13 chapters of this great story, and you read all about how Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And we see Nehemiah, a picture of, of what happens to Nehemiah himself. You know, he, he literally trans, transitions from being a, a servant to becoming a leader, and becoming a leader to becoming a builder, and be from becoming a builder to become a fighter for God and his people. And he did that all in the face of fear, in, fight, in the fear of the unknown, fear of opposition, fear of rejection. And he would gather the families, he would unite them together, they would fight their enemies, they would face opposition, even death threats. But together, they would rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in a record 52 days. And it astounded their enemies. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. But that's not all he did. He didn't just up and take off. Then he started to do something else. He brought in a guy named Ezra. Ezra was a scribe, a teacher of the Word of God. He had helped to rebuild the broken down physical walls. Now he needed, he wanted to rebuild 
the broken down lives of the people within the walls. And how did he do that? He brought in Ezra. They set up a platform in the middle of the square, public square, and they recited the word of God from daybreak till noon. Every man, woman, and child stood there, and these, as they read and recited the word, the people wept because that word of God brought back in hope and faith and truth back into their life. It's powerful. Nehemiah did all that. He brought in reforms. Actually, Nehemiah, then he didn't go home yet. Then he served as a governor of the district of Judea for 12 years, during which time he undertook various social, religious, and economic, economic reforms before returning to Persia. He was gone for 12 years. Man, did that guy ever do something for his country. Amen? So here's the question. What about our land? What, what about our city? I want to tell you, our nation, our land, it's in trouble. It's in trouble economically, politically. It's in trouble spiritually. You know, and we've never seen such widespread darkness and depression in our, in, in our country. You know, and really, uh, and God is saying to his people, it's time to step up. It's time to rise up. It's time to speak up, you know, and, and it's to, to speak up with, with courage and with love with sensitivity of what's happening to people. It's time to go out and reach out to really help people, to help people physically and practically and spiritually too as well, because that's what the kingdom of God is all about, right? It's helping people in all those areas of life. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. It's a fantastic scripture. It says, where the prophet is saying, Arise, shine, Arise, shine, be radiant with the glory and the brilliance of the Lord, for your light has come. The glory and the brilliance of the Lord has risen upon you. For in fact, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness will cover the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory and his brilliance will be seen on you. I looked up some, my Bible commentary, some background on this scripture. This is a, Isaiah is prophesying to a time. He is a time yet to come. It is probably a time that has not been fulfilled. This could be the time when this scripture is talking about our current present time today. My commentary says this deep darkness is actually referring to mental illness. Deep sense of mental illness would cover the whole earth. I've never seen darkness and depression in so many countries around the globe. And when this light comes, this, when this light comes, it'll come through the church, it'll come, it comes through us and shines. When this light comes through us and shines, and this is, of course, this light is Jesus in us, right? When this light comes through us and shines, darkness will dispel. When we see deep darkness settling on the minds of the people and the freedom comes, that's the presence of God. That's the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, he said, the kingdom of God is like leaven and it works through the whole dough. It's like yeast. And once you get it in there, you can't get it out. It's irreversible. The kingdom of God. Jesus also said, you are the, you are the salt of the earth. Of course, in biblical times, we think of salt today. What do we think of? A little, little bit of salt on the table. 
just a bit of a flavor. It helps the flavor of food. Of course, they use salt in the same way. But the major use of salt in biblical times was a, was a preservative. They rubbed it into meat, into food, to keep it from going bad, from decaying. Not just for flavor, it was, it was for both, to stop decay. The Bible says, Jesus said, you are like salt. We're here in this world to stop decay, moral and spiritual decay in this world. We have a part to play, right? Everybody on page? Okay. And what did Jesus say? If the salt loses its saltiness, what happens to it? It's good for nothing except to be poured out and trampled by men underfoot. It's a warning to us, isn't it? It's an encouraging to us, isn't it? Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one takes a lamp and puts it under the bowl. But rather, they take that lamp, they put it on a lampstand so that it can shine and get light to everyone. Question, when is light, when is light best seen? When is it best seen? In the darkness. When is a city on a hill best seen? In the darkness. What is the purpose of the city? That's where people go. It's a place for people to go for shelter, for food, for protection, for comfort, and a place to belong to. You know what that is the greatest drive and need of the human individual? The need to belong. Even the sexual union is all about the need to belong, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Good deeds, acts of kindness, acts of faith, acts of love, and glorify your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to the rest of this world, in your neighbors, in your communities. Can you say amen to that? When Nehemiah first started out, he was not a leader. He was not an architect. He was not a soldier. He had no warfare experience. He had no battle experience. But he did recognize that this was his time his turn. Can you see with me? It's my time. It's my turn. Can you look to the person next to you and say, it's your time. It's your turn. You know, you started the, you know, you, you, you read, it's great to read about all the, the great men and women in the Bible, simple, simple men and women who simply got up and recognized that it was their time and their turn. And I say, but if, if God ever needed a man and a woman Today, who would stand up and believe God and stand on his promises and say, I want to do your will today. This is the time. It's now. It's now, right now. You know, I think about it. We're here on earth for only a moment. Isn't that what the psalmist said? You know what David said? He says, our life is like a whisper. It's like a blink of an eye. It's like a, like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We have a moment to step in to a window of time in our life, don't we? It's time to step into our window of time. It's time to step into the moment. I love what Edmund Burke said. All that is required 
for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So true, isn't it? You know, I look at who we are as a church. What do we call? We are called City Light Church. City Light Church. You know, our purpose is in our name. Our name is our purpose, amen? To bring light to our city. And I'm so glad to have a church that's active and involved. And I'm, you know, and I'm so thankful for our people, for, uh, for, for our church that's not just waiting around to do something, but they're actually doing it. And there's so many people who are not taking hold of the responsibility to get involved or even take a hold of the opportunities that are coming. You know, we need new Nehemiahs today who say, you know, I'm, I'm saying yes to the plan of God for my life. And I'm ready to jump in and actually go out and do something in my community, in my neighborhood. I want to be seen. Amen. I'm getting excited. I want you to notice something. Things, there are things I know because the Spirit of God is in you. Things that you see happening in our neighborhoods, in the world, in your, you know, uh, and, and they bother you. They concern you. And in your heart, you might have thought or even prayed, God, you saw something. You said, God, something has, has to happen there. God, you got to do something. God, you know, you, know, you, you got to send people, some people to do something. You know, when that happens, when you get bothered like that, those are indicators. Those are indicators, probably indicators that God wants you to do something. Amen? There's not enough amens here. <laughs> There's a lot of women here, but not enough amens here. So that was bad. Sorry, that was bad. A beaten down, broken down Jerusalem bothered Nehemiah. A bullying, intimidating, foul-mouthed Goliath. Goliath bothered David. Nehemiah moved to his purpose. And the Bible says David ran toward Goliath. Amen? There are things that concern us that we need to get involved in. You know, all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, men and women, when they recognized their time, they did something about it. They saw their time and they took their turn. Think about it. Joshua, in the Old Testament, was told, Moses, your leader, is dead. Now it's your time, Joshua, and now it's your turn, right? How did Joshua feel? Very uncomfortable, fearful. But he recognized it was his time and his turn. You think about Esther. Esther was told by her cousin Mordecai, who knows, Esther? We're in a desperate situation. My, your country, you know, all the Hebrews in, in, in this foreign land are going to be wiped out by genocide. You have a part to play. You're in a royal position. Who knows that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? You have a royal position. You are the child of the king. We have a royal position as well. Amen? It's our, it's our time. It's our turn. We can do something. We're not nobodies. We are in a royal position. You think about Gideon threshing out trying to make a living, threshing out wheat in a wine press. Why? Because every year, the enemy would come from all different places, foreigners, nomadic people, they would, just, they would take the crops and take the livestock. 
and devastate the country year after year after year. Then God shows up, an angel, an angel, as Nehemiah, is, or as Gideon was doing, says, Gideon, it's your time, and it's your turn. Go and lead my people out of this place of bondage and poverty. You know, and I can go on and on. Here's the question, what holds you back? What, what, what holds you and me back? Is it fear? Is it ignorance? Or is it just being too polite? Sometimes we're just too, being, we're just too polite to do something, aren't we? But I want to encourage you, if it's fear, it's okay to feel fear, but don't let fear hold you back. I'm preaching to myself. It's okay to feel fear, but don't let it hold you back. On the screen is a picture of a guy. This guy, his name is Viktor Yushchenkov. Viktor Yushchenkov, who is a former president of the Ukraine. Viktor Yushchenkov, I'll read you a story. In 2004, made a bid for the presidency of Ukraine. And it was tumultuous, that bid. He stood for democracy, and he opposed the ruling party, which made him many enemies. In the heat of the election, Yushchenkov felt mysteriously ill. Doctors diagnosed him with dioxin poisoning, an ingredient used in Agent Orange. Agent Orange, you know what that is? Agent Orange is what the, what the United States developed as a form of chemical warfare, poison, in the Vietnam War. It was clear that his political enemies had a hand in it. The assassination attempt left him barely recognizable, discarring, with discarring scars all over his face. Nevertheless, he pursued his campaign to bring democracy to his country. When election day arrived, Yushchenko enjoyed a comfortable, comfortable lead in the polls. However, the television station run by the ruling party announced that Viktor Yushchenko had been soundly defeated by the sitting president. Now listen to this. While the nation watched the news broadcast, the deaf community, the deaf community, was focused on the lower right-hand corner of the screen where Natalia Dimitruk relayed the election results in sign language, infuriated by the lies that she was assigned to translate, she made a bold decision. Instead of interpreting what the broadcaster was saying, what the broadcaster was saying, she signed these words, I'm addressing all the deaf citizens of, the, of Ukraine. They are lying, and I am ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. Those in the deaf community responded. They got out there and they sprang into action. They contacted friends, family, told them all about the message that Natalia had sent during that news broadcast. Soon Natalia's courageous, defiant act inspired other journalists to report the truth about, about the election results. Millions of people heard about it. Millions of people wore orange in protest, <clears throat> took to the streets to demand a new ele election. The force of those people was so great that the, that, that the government was forced to concede to a new election in which the people of Ukraine elected Viktor Yushchenko, their new president. Natalia had only a moment, few moments to decide what she would do. She knew what was being said was a lie. 
Would she simply be a pawn of the unrighteous government? Or would she risk her life to stand up for truth? Her courageous stand changed the destiny of a nation. Question, what stand has God called you to make? And what will be written about your life? Two good questions. Here in Nehemiah chapter 4, they're standing on the work site in Jerusalem before the broken down walls. Nehemiah 4 verse 13. And Nehemiah says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. Quite a picture, isn't it? After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who was great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He said, fight for your homeland. Amen? You know, in the last few years, the last three, year, three years have put a lot of fear into people. And it's not, <clears throat> it's not just a pandemic. You know, you know this, this movement called the woke movement has brought such a heart, militant, divisive hostility into our society. You know, add to that things like cancel culture, censorship, bullying, intimidation. You know, many of, and, and many, many churches are coming under fire because coming under fire and it's not just by accident it's by design listen we're in a spiritual warfare we're going to have to fight in the in the time ahead to, to, to keep on meeting to keep preaching the gospel you know and I notice that today a lot of people maybe there's not just big wham in the face fear but they're living under this subtle fear a subtle fear that just makes them hesitate it just makes them want to step back. You know, this is why I'm trying to preach this message today. This message is to call us out. Call us out of hesitation. Call us out of fear. Call us out of, out of, out of holding back. Amen? Amen. You know, I want to say, you know, moms and dads, I'm trying to finish this. Mom and, moms and dads, you know, our kids don't need to see us shrinking back. They don't need to see a shrinking back. You know, they don't need to be persuaded by all the stuff that's, you know, some of the stuff that's coming into our schools today. You know, some of us are just plain perversion, right? We don't have to, we, we, we don't have to shrink back and, and allow things like, you know, gender change to be something that our kids, you know, are, are, are put upon our kids. You know, I want to say our families are just way too valuable. You know, your kids are so too way, way too valuable. You know, our lives are too value, are valuable. Our mission and our vision, our purpose is way too valuable. You know, and, and I'm here to tell you that, you know what? Maybe as an individual, it's difficult. But listen, together, we can make a difference. Together, we can do great things. You know? And it takes... It takes it takes, a, it takes everybody getting on there and, and realizing, you know, you know, together we can do a lot. Amen? You know, and I want to tell you, we can do these things. And God doesn't want us to just to run away and to hide. You know, and I say this, we should be singing that song. Come on, soul! 
Don't get shy on me. Because you've got a lion in your lungs. Amen? You've got a lion in your lungs. So I said, let's join together. Let's serve. You know, rally with us. Serve with us. Let's rally around the church as the hope of the world. Let's not shrink back. Let's, be, let's not be fearful. Amen? Because there, if there's a time, ever a time when our cities, our neighbors, our country needs us to be courageous now. It's ever a time. It's now. Amen? It's now. It's now. You agree with me there? Are you with me? <clears throat> I want you to say something. Say these words. It's our time. It's our turn. We are the light of the world. We are the city on the hill. And we can make a difference. And if you agree that, with that, shout amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bow your heads, please. Bow your heads. I want to say maybe you're here today and you've never opened up your heart to Jesus. You've never given up your old life, invited him to take over and to give you a new life. You've never received him as Lord and Savior. Or maybe one time you did that, but you kind of stepped away from God's purpose and plans for your life. See, today you can do, see, today you can either come to Jesus for the first time or you can rededicate your life to him once again. And if that's you, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to lead you in a, in a prayer and you can pray this prayer with all your heart, but you've got to mean it with all your heart and you will just see what God will do in your life. Amen? If that's you, bow your heads, close your eyes and pray after me. Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Please forgive me of all my sins. Today and now, Lord, I invite you into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.